0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You, You... Get to draft against you know three, five, ten man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on Draft are over 80% better than on salary cap sites. That's why you need to try Draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded Draft. You can play in real life NBA, NFL. They have NHL, PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. It keeps getting better, better and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day the event finishes. But they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second drafts are filling. They have them up until your games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit and you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word, SD Sports. That's right. Play in a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SDSports. Void or prohibited, must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, a very special episode, episode 79, where I have a good friend returning to the podcast. You might know his voice. He's on um, Dear Mr. Fantasy and Pop Goes Your World with uh, great content on those, as always. I agree with many of his movie takes. His co-host, it's a little tough at times, but we won't go there. <laughs> but um, you, can, you must know that laugh by now, Mr. Yancey Eaton. How are we doing?
2: Bubba my friend thank you for having me on again I was just looking I don't use Google Hangouts for any other thing I normally want to record podcasts it's on Skype and I just looked on Google Hangouts and the last time I had used it was with you and it was almost a year ago and I was like I thought I'd been on the pod since then it's been almost an entire year last time I came on I thought for sure I was like you know what let's make this like a quarterly thing every couple months I'll hop on or whatever but for whatever reason I mean I just I didn't get that invite what's up
1: well, that's what I was gonna say. Is when we did talk last year, it was a DFS preview, which everybody loved, mm-hmm. and we've chatted. We chat a lot. Um, you know, sometimes people wonder if we're more than friends, but. Um, that's fair. <laughs> We are trying to, we both have busy schedules, but just so people know, we're trying to do this hopefully at least once a month with Yancey on the show or some sort of fantasy relevant or heck, we might just talk about what's going on in the world. I don't know, but we're going to sit and chat. That's the goal, my friend. We need to make that happen.
2: I like it. I mean, I know we both had a bunch of stuff going on. I don't know how you pump out so many podcasts. I say this every time I talk to you, but like on any given day, it's like the PGA pod or the MMA pod or the professional basket weaving association pod. Like, I feel like you're just, (laughs) I don't understand like how you have the capacity to talk about so many different sports. Like I have a hard time following just baseball. You know, I used to do baseball, football, basketball, hockey. And uh, I just found that like I was, I I couldn't keep up with all of them. So I just kind of had to pick a sport. I don't know how you do it.
1: Yeah, some days, some days, I know we've talked about this before, you know, people, if you want to, I'll I'll put on the timestamp, you can fast forward through all our our chatter, but uh, (laughs) I'm I'm like you, Yancey, we've talked in, you know, days of podcasts, you're kind of like dredging, okay, it's almost time, but then when you record, it's so much fun, it's Mm -hmm. awesome, getting to talk with people you like to talk to and stuff like that, but I feel you, man, there's certain days where I'm just like, oh, six o'clock's getting here pretty quick, (laughs) like, I don't want to do this, but uh, I did not feel that way today, I'll be very clear about that. I have looked Likewise. forward to this one all
2: day. Likewise, the feeling is mutual.
1: All right, so enough of the bromance for now. Mm-hmm. It'll happen off and on throughout the show. I apologize, and I, I really don't feel bad about it. But um, we're going to talk about some recent MLB transactions and their fantasy relevance, as we've actually had quite a bit of action this last week or so. Jake Arrieta finally signs with the team, a three-year $75 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Arrieta, obviously, not the greatest of seasons last year. Second half was much better than the first how do you think this affects uh, Arrieta and his fantasy value this year?
2: Um, from a ballpark standpoint, I think it's kind of neutral. Um, I don't think the outfield defense is going to be nearly as good as it was with Chicago. Um, I kind of feel good about both sides of this. I feel like Arietta kind of wanted a bigger deal and he wanted a longer deal, but you know what? He's still getting paid $75 million, which is fantastic. And it's only for a three-year commitment. So good on the Phillies, good on Jake Arietta I don't really think this moves the needle as far as like his projection or his average draft position. I know we've seen a lot of uh, players that were na you know they were still unsigned they kind of got suppressed uh, at least you know 10 15 picks just because people didn't know where they were going i think with Arietta, we're really not going to see that bump just because like i said it's so context neutral um i mean kudos to the phillies like they they had all this cap space everybody was wondering when they were going to make a move and you know hopefully they're good with the next two years and this this investment actually pays off but as as far as Jake carrieta goes he's a pitcher i'm kind of down on i only have one share of him this season in the draft you know drafting just because i auto picked and uh like my computer timed out, or whatever. I was really upset about it, but you know, this is a guy who we've seen him lose velocity a little bit. Uh, some of his mechanics is out of control. Uh, Doug Thorburn talks about this a lot, where like there was there were periods last season where he was just all over the mount, his release point was all over the place. Um, I'm a little skeptical long term, but for a three year deal, I think both sides come out as winners. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I'm just. I'm so down on Ariadne Just the last couple of years have just, or at least last year especially, have just bugged me a lot. I was, I used to love him. He was a fantasy target of mine. I wanted nothing to do with him last year or this year. Um, he's going to be the veteran voice of the team, so that, that could go a long ways. He seems to be very happy there. I'm just worried about him. You know, you did mention on, on paper the ballpark shift-wise is pretty identical. The outfield defense does terrify me a bit compared to what he had in Chicago. And Philadelphia is the number one home run park in baseball last year. Yes, not Coors Field. It was Philadelphia.
2: I actually did not know that.
1: Yeah, that part scares me. And we look at area of those numbers. We'll start in 14 at a 4.5% home run to fly ball, 15, 7.8, 16, 11.1, 1, and last year a 14% home run to fly ball. His mm-hmm. fly ball rate was all, all the way up to 34.4%. That worries me a tad bit. Mm-hmm. But. You never know. Maybe he can, he can change his pitch mixes. I know our buddy Matt Modica was tweeting out different, uh, you know, pitch percentages he's done over the last few years and kind of correlates with the fly ball rates. Maybe things change and he goes back to a different way. That's the one thing that concerns me is that home run rate. He's still going to be that bulldog. He's still going to, you know, pump you eight to nine K's per nine and do that. But I I won't have any of them. Like you said, you had one share due to an auto pick. I'm just going to stay away from him and wish him the best um let's talk mike moustakis he settled what the uh, people could say because the, the market was not there for him at all third base wasn't really necessary this year especially with some big names coming off next year he gets one year 6.5 million to return to the kansas city royals uh, big year last year some say it's an outlier some think he can keep doing it what's your thoughts on this
2: i think it's a curious decision isn't he a scott boris client
1: Yes, yeah, or settled, which is very weird.
2: So he doesn't take the qualifying offer, which I understand because you're a free agent, so you want to, you know, get some sort of security long term. But he turns down what was it, seventeen or eighteen million and then settles for a six and a half year deal. A lot of times when you see these players taking these pillow contracts that they call them, you know, for six, eight, ten million dollars, it's because they have some sort of uncertainty regarding their health or you know, it's they they played a partial season the year before. Musakis was completely healthy. He came off of a career year, everything went right, he hit a ton of home runs. And the, he only got a one-year deal for $6.5 million. So I don't understand what he has to prove. Does he have to do the same thing two years in a row where teams are still going to be skeptical just because of you know, the, the home run revolution that we've seen? And he's also a year older. So like, I don't understand what the plan was here with Scott Boris. Did he really overshoot the mark that much? And I... It's hard for me to say. I feel bad for somebody who just signed a one-year contract that will be more money than I'll ever make in my entire life combined. I know that's all relative, but I mean, he's a he, he's not a fantastic defender. Um, you know, his his hitting was a little fluky, but I do feel like you know he could have gotten a, a three-year and forty million dollar deal or a three-year fifty million dollar deal. I think this was more what Scott Boris is doing, um, just trying to push back the market. Didn't he do that a couple of years ago as well with like a With like JD Martinez, whatever. Um, this has been like his. This has been his thing: is to push back the market super, super late, and then have your guys wait out. And uh, I'm curious to see how this affects him as far as like, uh, you know, is he going to be ready for opening day? I would hope so. I assume so, but I don't know. It's just I I feel bad for Mike Moustakis. I don't obviously just because he's in the same ballpark. uh, None of those factors change, but this is a drastically different team. You've seen Lorenzo Cain is gone. You've seen Eric Cosmer is gone. Uh, they re-signed – oh, my God. They re-signed the worst shortstop in baseball, which I don't understand, that they let lead off for half the season. Uh, this is just a team that it, – it just didn't make sense to me. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of down on Musakis, to be honest with you. It's just – I mean, it's whatever. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those – do I believe he can produce like this again? Oh, yeah, you know, in a heartbeat. Maybe not to the extent of 38. You look at all the projections on fan grasping, depth charts, steamers, and all of them, they're talking – around 30 homers, which I'd still take, especially when you're getting him in drafts right now, because it seemed like no one really wanted to trust him because maybe they're trusting Boris saying, hey, he'll sit out a year if you ask to. And with Boris, he can do anything. You don't know what he's going to do. And Moustakas was training out in the L.A. area, uh, Long Beach or something. He's been staying in shape. That's not the concern. I think between lack of market for third basements this year – Maybe a little worry about health, but really he had an injured 2016, but 15 and 14, 140, 147 games. He's been healthy his whole career, so I don't buy into that. It's kind of a weird thing, and like you said, it stinks because, A, the ballpark's still very tough. Mm -hmm. B, the lineup's going to be just horrible around him unless just miracles happen. That's a big factor to me. It's just going to stand out like a sore thumb. So it's challenging. I don't have any of him right now. I don't think I will have any of him. Uh, people are pointing to he had a 40 almost 46 percent fly ball rate last year. That's not sustainable. But heck, 40 percent, 41, 41. He's been a 40 plus guy his whole career. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm worried about him. I think his production will still be good. Not worried about that. I just hope he doesn't have a down year and it all falls apart and doesn't get the paycheck. I, like you said, he'll make more money than we ever will. But he still deserves the money because that's just the way the game works these days.
2: Serious question between the Royals and the Marlins, who do you think has the worst offense at the end of the year? the royals the royals i, I mean the marlin the marlin's offense is really bad and especially because you know with, with all of their their cheapness and their price constraints and stuff they have players that could contribute like i think they're going to keep lewis brinson down for quite a while i think Magnus sierra they're going to keep down for a little while they have players that could contribute but i mean they're going to be rolling out like derek dietrich as like an everyday leadoff hitter like uh brian anderson is going to be their starting third baseman i mean I, both teams are going to be really really bad but uh, I, I don't know. Like you said, even if the home runs are there for musakas I just doubt that any of the runs and in, in, in RBI are, are, are really going to be there. I think he takes a major setback. But
1: yeah, gonna... right, right now, roster resource starting lineup for the Marlins: Dietrich, Rio Muto, starting Castro, Justin Bohr, Lewis Brinson. They have batting in fifth, playing center field. Brian Anderson, Cameron Maven, and Miguel Rojas playing shortstop. So yeah, not Murderer's Row. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, pretty yeah. rough. Yep. Talking about another guy returning home on, I guess you'd say a pay cut given he wasn't expected to get a ton, but he's getting paid more than Moustakis. Carlos Gonzalez going back to Colorado on a one-year deal, guaranteed $8 million in this deal. Pretty interesting considering the fact that everyone's talking David Dahl's back and healthy. You have Ryan McMahon's going to make an impact. All these things, they already have Desmond and Blackman and Para, Tons of options already. And they bring cargo back. Uh, what's your take on this? You know, getting half your games in Coors is always nice, but he might just be a platoon guy. I don't even know what his full job is going to be.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, anybody can go to fan and look at the splits page. He really struggled against lefties, which isn't uncharacteristic of him as, you know, he's obviously a left-handed hitter. But I just, I hate this so much because David Dahl is amazing. I know he hasn't showed it yet at the major league level, but like you said, finally healthy. And this is supposed to be the breakout. They also have Raimel Tapia, who is just waiting to start playing you know, they have a Gerardo Parra who they inexplicably signed like a three-year deal a couple years ago. And everybody's like, why are you blocking all these outfield, you know, hitters? Ryan McMahon seems ready. Uh, You know, could he play first base? Could he play the outfield? You still have Ian Desmond. Does he play first base? Does he play the outfield? Uh, I mean, even in the infield, like talking about, you know, I I like a Trevor Story bounce back a lot. I really do. I think he was injured for most of the year and it kind of just completely sapped his power. Um, But then you have Brendan Rodgers, who a lot of people say is from a fantasy standpoint, one of the best prospects in baseball. You have, there's all these different moving pieces, and I just don't understand how it's going to coalesce together. It sucks for me because, you know, in TGFBI, we'll, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I did take David Dahl under the assumption that he was going to be starting nearly every single day. I could pencil him in for 140, you know, 150 games. Now with Cargo being there, I just, I don't know where the, the play appearance was going to come from. I don't know how it all shakes down. Uh, somebody's going to get a short, short end of the stick. I don't think it's going to be McMahon. I, I do think he plays first base, and then Desmond goes back out to the outfield. But in other event it just it just sucks. Ramil Tapia's value now is almost non-existent in redraft leagues this year. And uh everything is just in flux. If you're in a league with with weekly lineups or you can't mix and match, you know, throughout the week, I think this whole cores field outfield is really going to kill you.
1: Yeah, it's it's brutal. Tapia is a great name that no one re- really talks about when this whole situation takes place. You know, you got a guy with speed, could be a top of the order type guy, scores some runs. Um I don't know what they're doing with this cargo deal. It makes no sense to me at all. The good part about it, if we want to talk about a different angle, is it moves Charlie Blackman back to the leadoff spot. He was going to bat third or fourth in that lineup. I like him much more from a fantasy perspective leading off. So that's, true. That, that's an angle that I think is good. But, yeah, now you have three starting outfielders in Blackman, Cargo, and Para, all left-handed. Um, so Dahl, Tapia, both lefties, They're they're out it looks like. It's just, it's a bad, bad deal and doesn't make any sense to me at all. That one, I was really surprised by that one. Moose, not so much. He didn't really have anywhere to go. Cargo, he can DH. He can do a lot of different things. I, I didn't understand that at all. Let's talk Jonathan Lucroy uh, coming off a rough season where he was traded to Colorado. Didn't really get it going offensively at all. But he's just a, like a year or so removed from being a consistently very good top end fantasy baseball catcher. He's going to Oakland, and it's a very good landing spot for him, in my opinion. One-year, $6.5 million deal. What's your outlook on Lucroy this year? Because you get him super late in drafts and maybe a bounce-backs in order?
2: Uh, So, I mean, I don't like the ballpark. Obviously, it suppresses right-handed power, which is concerning. But, I mean, from top to bottom, Lucroy completely bottomed out with pitch framing, with power being able to hit for some sort of average. Everything completely fell out. I don't know if it was – I mean, I, I know he was dealing with some nagging injuries. I know maybe it was a lack of focus. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't understand what's going on with him. But um, I, I, I still feel like I want to draft him as like my second catcher in two catcher leagues. And I don't know if I would be comfortable with him being my only catcher in, in single catcher leagues. And he's kind of like in this weird black hole area where I actually have to kind of pay for him still. Like he's still like a top 150, 170 pick, which I'm just not comfortable doing. In hindsight, like I got Wilson Ramos and TGFBI for, you know, at 319th overall, I would just assume wait and then take somebody that has a little bit more of a floor. I do like the situation simply from a, from a counting standpoint, because he is going to get a ton of plate appearances. Bruce Maxwell, with all the troubles he has, legalities, I guess, I, I'm not sure exactly what the story was, but I guess he pulled out a gun on like a pizza delivery guy or something, which is...
1: Yeah, yeah, he had a little bit of a problem there.
2: Okay, so, I mean, it's not like he was an awesome catcher anyway, but, and then the other backup is Josh Fegley, so... I anticipate him playing at least five or six times a week, you know, with the occasional off day here or there. I hope he bounces back, but I don't see anything in his statistical profile that suggests that he will. It's basically just a, a, a shot in the dark.
1: Yeah, I agree. And um, you, you threw out some good names there because since uh, February first in NFBC, Lucroy's going around 204. And Wilson Ramos jumped all the way up to 154 now. And I've been on the Wilson Ramos bandwagon since day one. I'd rather have guys like Ramos, Wellington Castillo, even Brian McMahon um, mm-hmm. than Jonathan Lucroy. So that's definitely something to talk about there. But I think it's an interesting spot because it's a young pitching staff. If he can, he's only like you said last year, all his framing and everything that was so good about Jonathan Lucroy was just not there. It was lost. So who knows what his situation was. If he can find that again, that kind of makes, you know, maybe Jarrell Cotton, and Daniel and Some of these guys you get super late in drafts that you're throwing darts at, maybe those guys, you know, elevate their their season for you a little bit. Who knows? But uh, So that's something to keep an eye on, even if it's waiver wire, because a lot of those guys don't even get drafted right now. But the other thing that you mentioned is Josh Fagley. Another right-handed bat. I loved him because he was a righty lefty. Him and Maxwell, they they switched roles and thankfully smoked lefties and he was always two thousand dollars on DraftKings. He was amazing. Now I don't know how he that all paid, played, but, with, but
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, I didn't care for two thousand dollars. Just you know, get a hit and score a run. I don't care. Yeah. But um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out there. But Lucroy, you know, if his value keeps dropping, yes, I have a feeling now that he has a, a job, a home that changes a bit. So it's hard to see. It's hard to pay, like you said, at that range to get a Jonathan Lucroy. Let's talk Lance Lynn. I think this is a – the Twins offseason has been so sneaky good. I don't know how you feel about it, but I absolutely love what they've done. Instead of going to get like the big whale, they put together so many pieces. They get Lynn on a one-year $12 million deal. So he lost about $5 million on the, the offer he could have had. But they've added Odorizzi, Reed, Zach Duke fernando i love the reason fernando rodney to a team that was already a wild card team with a lot of youth on it what do you think about lance lynn going and pitching in pitcher friendly target field
2: so i i do agree with you with the premise that minnesota has quietly gotten very good i saw a tweet the other day and i wish i would have saved it for the podcast but essentially the twins spent something like 50 million or whatever and they added you know several bullpen pieces uh two starting pitchers uh they improved in the outfield all, all kinds of minor league depth, you know, as minor league free agents, and they spent like, like I said, like fifty or fifty-five million dollars, something like that. And the tweet basically said, or roughly thirty-eight percent of what Eric Hosmer got in his contract, yes. and which is such, such a, a shot, but but it really does make sense. Like, um, not to beat a dead horse, I like my buddy Sammy. You, you know, Sammy. He and I are best oh, I friends. He's he is a Padres hey, fan. Re- and real,
1: real quick side note: Sammy's going to be the guest on episode eighty.
2: There we go. As okay, so perfect. As so he you, you, you can follow up and listen with this, but. <laughs> So I feel bad for him because it's it's such a stupid move. I feel like, um, you know, like you're going to sign a, a, a first baseman who barely hits for power in one of the most power-suppressing environments in baseball, or at least what it used to be. But, like, congratulations on your 20 home runs. Like, Sammy, I it, it's whatever. Okay, I can say whatever I want. But as far as the Twins go, like you said, I, I'm, I also think the Blue Jays are kind of in the same boat where they filled a lot of holes. What went from being, like, huge liabilities, especially off, offensively, they're not maybe – the the best but they are now league average or you know what I mean a little bit closer to the middle of the pack to where it's not actually killing them Lance Lynn is a boring pitcher he was boring before Tommy John um Tommy John you know he kind of struggled a little bit last year but this is a guy that throws like what like 85 percent fastballs he is basically a younger Bartolo Colon he just pounds the strike zone over and over again um he always kind of outperforms his fit that's just something that he does just I I mean He's fine. He's whatever. If he's your number four, or your number five, I guess I'm okay with that. I think he's going to pitch innings. He's another year removed from Tommy John. Uh, he is not going to get you all the, you know, the likes and retweets whenever you post your draft pick on Twitter. He's not, he's not sexy, but from a team standpoint, I love what the twins have done um, to, to really keep themselves in contention. This was a playoff team that quietly got a lot better and did not break the bank. So good on them, I guess.
1: Yeah. It's their off season has been sneaky, sneaky. Good. Our buddy, Nate, uh, Dawkins has been loving life. You can get Lynn at pick 232 right now, which to me is is one of the safer picks you can get that late in a, uh, if you can call anything safe in baseball, but one of the safer ones you can get. You mm-hmm. mentioned the the FIP uh, comment, and that's the thing everyone goes to. And it's like you said, you just got to ignore it with him. Other pitchers, yes, it, you can use that tool quite a bit, FIP and XFIP. But with Lance Lynn, it just doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, uh, the, one, the,
1: the one thing that's interesting is, the strikeouts, 7.39K per nine last year. Not what you're looking for. But he's never been a big strikeout guy. He's a big contact guy, like you mentioned. He okay. plays with fire, but he pitches inning after inning after inning. Outside of the Tommy John year, it's been 175 or more since 2012. And, and that's that probably, is that's reliability.
2: Probably, not to cut you off, but even if he's league average as far as strikeouts go, you remember, what was it, just two seasons ago, the Twins were like on pace for being a historically bad pitching staff as far as strikeouts? Like They had like the least amount of strikeouts in – decades it seemed like so just the fact that they have like a guy like Ota Rizzi who's almost exactly league average somebody like lanceland who's slightly above average that raises their floor so much higher they were a playoff team and they were rolling out some of the worst number four number five starters in baseball so i mean like i said i like it i not to be a dead horse but just really impressed with what they were able to do with spending mm-hmm. such little money
1: yeah i'm, a, I'm completely on board with this uh, little renovation they did before i get to the last name on the list since you brought up the osmer thing I wanted to ask you because your tweet, <laughs> your tweet comparing Duda's stats and Hosmer stats, I've mentioned at least twice on my podcast, and I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts. Yeah. A, one of the greatest comparisons I've ever seen because that made me just smile and laugh so much. B, what's your thoughts on Lucas Duda playing in Kansas City this year? Because you can get him in like the four hundreds it seems right now.
2: I I like that. I, I don't know if Duda's going to play every single day. Okay. Um, but somebody was doing like an assessment where they were going through their division and, you know, Duda's obviously left-handed or he bats left-handed and there are not a ton of left-handed pitchers in the AL central. There's not. So the fact that he would be benched a lot, that may happen occasionally. And even so, like he may not start, but he's definitely going to get in as a pinch hitter and, you know, late in games, whenever it gets to the bullpen and stuff like that. So I think the playing time is going to be there. We've seen Lucas Duda get hot before. He's had good months, um, last year with the Rays. I mean, you know, he hit for a little bit of power, but his batting average absolutely cratered. I think just knowing where he's going to be at, I I hate using like really fluffy, like intangible stuff like, Oh, having heart or, you know, he's in a better state of mind, but sometimes it really does affect people. Like I know, I know whenever I have stuff going on personally, like I just suck in every other aspect of my life, him knowing, you know, ahead of time that he's going to be there the entire season, not being traded by the trade deadline and just spending the entire season in Kansas city, even if the team's not very good, I think he can quietly get, you know, 500, 550 plate appearances and be a really, really sneaky value. It helps that he's left-handed, you know, Five out of six times, he's going to be, you know, with a platoon advantage, batting in the middle of that lineup. Who else is going to really be challenging him for at-bats at first, you know? Yeah,
1: I absolutely love it. You're getting him around pick 420 right now, almost undrafted, depending on your size <laughs> of your league. Um, yeah, Rob Silver was the one, I believe, talking about it. There's three left-handed starters projected to start the season. Start the season. It could change. Like, the <laughs> Twins don't have one. They're all right-handed based. You just go down the list. It's, it's pretty crazy when you, you think about it. So he could have a field day there, and um, he's got that power. And this could be, you know, just talking out of my rear end, but he's got the power where most ballparks don't really, the park factors don't matter as much for Lucas Duda, in my opinion. He's Correct. gonna, he's gonna just smoke balls. Like the whole Hinojosa talk, it's not gonna affect Goldie. It's gonna affect somebody else, in my opinion. Hmm. But um, that's a topic for another day. Let's talk the last major signing or signing of the last week or so. We got Neil Walker going to the Yankees. Making a lot of people angry because now they're saying, "Well, Labor Torres, Miguel Andahar, poop on you," but Neil Walker getting about four million dollars per year. The Yankees, as much as I hate the Yankees, they have made so many nice, sneaky moves to just add depth to a roster. Even if they don't work out, your youngsters get more seasoning in the minors before you bring them up. Everything about this move is tremendous. And why another team that needs a middle infielder because Walker can play second or third? Why they didn't grab him? I have no idea for $4 million to me, the move is tremendous. What's your thoughts on him and maybe his fantasy impact.
2: Neil Walker is one of those guys where he's just criminally underrated every single year. Um, I mean, he's a switch hitter. I know he's much better from one side than the other, but uh, not a phenomenal defender, but he's not a horrible defender. And you know, you can kind of move him around the diamond a little bit. Um, it just, it makes me upset as a Rays fan, just because uh, I even retweeted something where uh, Mark Topkin was talking about how the Rays could cut Brad Miller and they were only on the hook for like 25% of like his four or $5 million salary. And with that money, they could have potentially signed somebody like Anil Walker for around 4 to $5 million. And that's exactly what happened, except it was the Yankees that did it for $4 million. Um, it's just, it's such a savvy move. And like you said, people are upset because it's blocking Andahar or Glaber. Like, and that's temporary. Guess what? If those guys are good enough, a $4 million commitment is not going to keep the Yankees from bringing these guys up. It's really not. So calm down. It's the Yankees. If that were the Rays at $4 million, he's like their fourth most expensive player. So he's playing. But it's just such a savvy move. Like you said, it gives them such depth. They can move them around the diamond. And we'll, we're still going to see those guys eventually, especially whenever rosters expand. Yeah. Like, just pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe you guys are a little early over drafting these prospects anyway. But, I mean, it fills an immediate need for the Yankees. And, man, it just it would make sense for so many other teams. I just hate seeing that the Yankees and the Red Sox are like smart now, like they have money, but now they're also really smart. I think Brian Cashman was always underrated as a GM, but the the Steinbrenner family kind of always meddled and had their hands in it. But these last couple of years, he has really shown like that he knows what he's doing. And that team is just going to be so nasty from top to bottom. And maybe one of those things where he only gets 350 plate appearances, but as long as he's playing, I mean, just by having all those big bats around him, he could he could fall into a lot of catting categories.
1: Yeah, that Cashman comment is so true because I, I as you said it's not fun rooting for the Yankees if you're not a Yankees fan. No, it's
0: and not.
1: <laughs> and I always I always thought um, Cashman was, you know, oh they just gave him all the money. It's easy. What he's been able to do recently, I've mentioned it on other shows. It's remarkable. It's absolutely just genius the moves he makes. He said they're they're doing it so smart. It's it's really, really Sucks what they've been doing. But I mean, they, um they a-
2: have they have the consensus best bullpen, the deepest bullpen in baseball, yeah. right? Top to bottom, they have one of the strongest, if not the strongest, you know, lineup, hitting lineup in baseball. Uh, you know, defensively, I'm not sure where they rate out, maybe they're average, but They last year they were in the top three or four in almost every single offensive category. Like I said, with their bullpen, everything everything lined up. All signs point yes. Oh yeah, and they also have a top five like system in baseball. They have all of these prospects. They were able to completely retool this team. And imagine next year whenever like you know you're going to see like Ellsbury come off the books. Brett Garner is going to be coming off the books. Like it's it's not it's really not fair. Like I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm super salty. And I'm incredibly jealous of Yankees fans. I don't know what that feels like. Whenever you have a guy like Corey Dickerson that's making six million dollars and he's a you know, he literally gets DFA'd and traded because he can't afford them. Like, and then you're competing against Yankees and Red Sox. It's just, it's a different world.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Really tough. Uh, back to the Neil Walker thing, though, real quick. Uh, you're oh, getting yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I, <laughs> totally fine. Um, you're getting him around pick 436 right now. Just for, for people's perspective, when you're drafting someone that you're going to get a guy that roughly hits t- around 270 or better most years. Yeah. He's had 12 or more home runs every year since 2010, some even more than mine, but he's been in the big since 2010, um, since 2013, 16 or more, he had 23 and 16, 23 and 14. This guy is good. And he has a short fortune right field now in Yankee stadium. This is a guy that people need to be, I know in the TG FBI, which we'll talk about, he was going way earlier than a ADP says, just throwing <laughs> that out there, right? Way earlier. So, uh, this is a guy people need to be jumping on. I don't care if he doesn't produce this, just what you get middle infield. It's free. He doesn't steal bases. He doesn't yeah. steal bases. Who cares? Do, yep. Build that elsewhere. So that's my two cents on Neil Walker. I thought this that signing was just, yeah, too good, too good. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about Roto It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it, they're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. That no other brand can compete with Roto in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. If you use the promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Let's talk the great fantasy baseball. Invitational. Fifth, no, 13 leagues. 15 teams in each league, 195 players, Mr. Justin Mason, uh, friends of Fantasy Benefits and everywhere else you can find fantasy information these days, was uh, kind enough to put that together for us, Yancey, and uh, you were in one league, I was in in League Six, we're going to go over each other's teams real quick, but before we go into the teams, just overall, how was your drafting experience in that slow draft?
2: Um, it was a lot of fun. I, I normally do mostly slow drafts now. I don't know if any of your listeners, I mean, I know some of you guys obviously partaken in it, but it's the one thing where I would suggest if you can utilize, if you can get your league mates on board, it is a completely different experience. It allows people time to think things out to, you know, it's easier to accommodate everybody because you have a time clock of, of 12, eight or four hours. Um, your dog seems to agree to, he's all about the slow drafts. Um, But it's just a completely different experience. It's a lot more fun. It's more communal because you actually have time to chat and talk about things. And, um, you know, you actually become a little bit more uh, friendly with your league mates. But um, I enjoyed my draft. We were one of the fastest ones, one of the first ones to be completed. Everybody was, you know, really on top of their game. Nobody was timing out. I think the slowest person as far as draft time goes was at like 30 minutes or 35 minutes. Um, It was just really involved. Like I said, everybody knew their stuff, you know, making friends and stuff. Zero complaints with that. I did, however, have complaints about the fact that because this is an industry league, the bar, like you don't realize it, but the floor is so much higher than what you're normally used to. Like every time I hop into like a public league, like say I'm doing like a $25 classic on like fan and it's just public, you know, uh, there's, there's maybe one or two people who really know what's going on. There's a couple people who are kind of, you know, whatever, they make some really questionable picks or they miss news about players. And you have three or four players who have absolutely zero idea that what's going on. They're picking all their favorite players. You can tell that they're a Yankees homer or a Cubs homer you don't get stuff like this in these, in these expert leagues. You really don't not saying that I'm an expert, but um, you know, I have a fantasy baseball podcast, so I guess I'm, I'm qualified to be in it, but man players that you would think, um, you know, are getting a lot more playing time than their, their ADP suggests. They're not, they're not lasting wherever their ADP says. If you really like somebody like an Ozzy Albies or Ronald Acuna, you need to take them earlier before their ADP because they're going to get snatched up. Like, Nothing falls through the cracks with these guys. It's just a lot more competitive, and you really have to pay attention. Um, I know, like there was news that was breaking, like for instance, Corey Seeger um, He had like a potential elbow issue, or he had some discomfort, or something like that. And that was right in line with he was like three or four picks away from being taken, and everybody saw the news. So guess what? He continued to fall, and eventually he was taken, but it was almost a whole round later. It's so, like people are incredibly reactive. They're they're watching, they're listening, they're you know reading news updates and stuff, and it just made it like a I had to be completely plugged in 24 hours a day before I made any pick. Um, did you notice anything like that with yours? Like uh, I know yours was a little bit slower than mine was, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, we just wrapped up a couple days ago, but it was, it was for a slow draft. It was intense. If that makes any sense. Yep. It was like you, like you said, it was, you had to, if you wanted your guy, just go get him because there's good chances it wasn't coming back. I remember multiple guys would say it in the chats, they'd set their queue and they'd come back like eight or nine picks later and the queue'd be gone. Yeah, it was the whole just, it, yep. it was just like, and these are guys you thought you were putting in your queue for like a couple rounds from now. It, it was just nonstop, really crazy, fun stuff. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Real quick, um, for people that don't know about the league, it's you have your individual league, and then there's the overall, kind of like the NFBC style for the overall prize. Mm-hmm. You said you had a different kind of idea to this. Do you want to tell people kind of what your game plan was, how you're treating this draft compared to others?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, this is a standard five by five rotisserie league. The only difference between this and most standard leagues is instead of having two catchers, we have one catcher and two utility. So it it does change it up a little bit. It makes catchers a little less valuable. Somebody like a Gary Sanchez doesn't have as much top end value. Um, but you know, if we're drafting 420 players, so 28 man rosters, like I said, 15 teams. Uh, so you're going to have to go a lot deeper and, premium talent as far as like a top shelf power, speed, all that stuff is gonna be a lot harder to acquire in like a smaller group of players because it's so spread out, right? So I was trying to approach this almost as like a DFS tournament, right? Um, obviously there's not 200,000 people in a tournament, but I was thinking, okay, I have 195 experts. A lot of these people are fantasy only. They don't have a regular day job. Fantasy is their only job, right? These people are smarter than me. They have more time to put into it than me. They do more drafts than I do. A lot of these people do their own projections. They have their own algorithms that spit stuff out. So, really, like I had to be a little bit different. And I wasn't doing it just for the sake of being different, but I thought, what would give me the best chance at, you know, from a game theory standpoint, not just hitting on like, you know, getting all the players that I wanted, but uh, how could I take control over certain categories and get a stranglehold on them to where I guarantee myself a certain amount of points? And one of the, one of the, uh, deficiencies that I exploited was power so you keep hearing all this stuff about how power's up there's so much power you can always get power later in the drafts and um I've, I've been championing this a little bit and Rob Silver's been very vocal about it on Twitter uh in an environment when there is more of something that does not mean you need less that means that you need even more to separate yourself from the pack so just it's because everybody's bra- hitting more home runs I need to hit more home runs or I need to capture more home runs on my team in order for me to distance myself from the pack so with that take, uh, I had planned on going starting pitcher with each of my two picks. I picked 12th overall. Kershaw fell to me, and I just felt like you know he was going 5th, 6th in a lot of leagues. There was no way that I could t- not take him at 12. That ended up being the latest that he went in any of the drafts was 12th overall. So I took Kershaw. And then from there, I went with uh, a little bit of an unorthodox superpower strategy. Uh, let me pull up my team really quickly so I can read it to you. But
1: Real, real quick while you're pulling it up, I want to let people know who's in your league. So okay, kind of get a, they kind of get an idea of... The cool part about these leagues is there's guys like, you know, myself and Yancey who we we have our podcast and everything, but we're not full-time, like he <laughs> said. And then there's the full-time guys. So, like, there's Fantasy Phil from uh, F- Fantasy Front Office, Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ. Um, you had Roto Experts. You had Randy Haynes, Steve Ross, Rudy Gamble from Rasball, who's so FPC tout. Like, <laughs> he's one of the best in the best period and a great guy, he knows his yeah. stuff inside and out. Uh, Chris Negus, Nick Moreno from Roto Baller, Heath Caps from Fake Team Shelmo. Stevie Yancey, Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. If anybody's played Yahoo Sports ever, Pianow is one of the like guys. Like yeah, he's he, just he there.
2: Gave, he gave me nightmares the entire draft. But yeah. Yeah,
1: and then Ben, I'm gonna butcher this one. Passenkoff from Rotograph Pasenkov. and the yep. yeah, and, and the roster mechanics. So it's all different people, and and just because you don't know their name doesn't mean they're not good. It's just there's a lot of name value to some of these leagues. So. It's crazy, but back to what you're saying, um, Kershaw 12, that's insane, but we'll get to some ADP stuff maybe later, but what, what what else did you do with your team?
2: Yeah, so I went Kershaw, and like I said, uh, immediately afterwards, you saw Chris Bryant, Corby, Clu- Corey Kluber, Machado, uh, Chris Sale, Jose Ramirez, and Votto go. I was really wanting to go SPSP, just to, like I said, there's a tier of four elite starting pitchers that I think is the smallest pool of elites of any position. I wanted at least one of them, so I took Kershaw. If another one slipped back to me, I felt that the first two rounds of hitters, there is such little separation between them, and it's a very large field of players that could technically be considered a first-rounder that I felt that going SPSP would really differentiate me from the pack. Unfortunately, it didn't work out like that, and they both went. Uh, So I went with Aaron Judge, and I was thinking – you know, there's a lot of other players that are a little safer as far as like the power speed goes, where they would steal me some bases as well. Um, but I'm going for the 99th percentile outcome, I want to win the absolute league. If Aaron Judge improves on what he did last year, say he didn't go through like that June swing where he was hurt and banged up. And you know, he has Stanton on the team now and he has Neil Walker and you know, a lot of these high owned base guys like there's a chance that he could hit 50 home runs and have 120 RBI. And I want that I'm going for upside anytime I have like a a tiebreaker and I was trying to decide between two players. I went for who has the ultimate like f u season in them, and I thought it was Aaron judge um so you know obviously a bunch of pictures went off after that it started like an immense pitcher run, and then my next two picks I went uh Nelson Cruz and Chris Davis, so with <laughs> Between those, and a little bit later, I took Joey Gallo. Between those four hitters, I had four who combined for 175 home runs in 2017, which is insane. You know, if I'm targeting 250 to 300 home runs, I'm almost completely there, and I haven't even gotten out of the sixth round yet, uh, which I was really happy about. One of the most tilting things, I remember, uh, I I believe I texted you about this while it was happening. I was texting Sammy and uh, Doug Thorburn Like while this was happening was immediately after going Nelson Cruz and then Chris Davis, I wanted to get Billy Hamilton. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have Kershaw, who's the best pitcher in the game, elite ratios, strikeouts, all that stuff. And then, obviously, tons and tons of power. I would have a little bit of a problem with batting average, and then I would have no speed almost whatsoever. Unfortunately, Billy Hamilton went two picks before me, and it was absolutely soul-crushing. I'm not kidding. Like, I was so upset that I almost gave up. And I I just picked Dallas Keuchel there just as like a – like I don't care kind of thing. Like I was completely tilted. I don't know if you guys say poker, but like I completely lost my edge. I lost my cool. And I just, I just tilt picked Dallas Keuchel, which in hindsight, I actually don't mind him as an SP 2 He's really going to help with my whip. Um, hopefully the ERA comes down a little bit this year, but it's a safe pick, whatever. Um, so lots of power, lots of uh, strikeouts, a, lot, a really good whip, that kind of thing. And then from there, it was a little bit more business as usual. Um, you know, I took, like I said, Joey Gallo, I went Kniebel and uh, Alex Fulmey with my two closers. I think in a league this deep, you want at least two. If you really want to compete for the top in that category in saves, you need to have three. Um, I kind of speculate a little bit later on saves, but um, you know I, I might be lagging a little bit in that category. But uh, I found myself constantly trying to catch up with saves later in the draft. It didn't really work out like that because, like I said, in an expert league like this, uh, the guys like the Delano DeShields, they went you know multiple rounds before their ADP uh, Cameron Mayman didn't make it back to me. Malik Smith went, you know, guys, rabbit speed only guys like that, that I was really hoping to get just did not fall to me. Um, it was a little frustrating, but, uh, I was able to kind of compliment my power guys with guys that chip in a little bit of speed, um, but will help me with batting average and bring that batting average up. So like really unsexy picks like a DJ LeMayhew or a Cesar Hernandez, um, you know, those aren't going to get you all of the, the karma and all of the applause, but, those are really solid players that contribute multiple categories. So it was kind of like a mixed bag as far as the draft goes. If I could have done it differently, I probably would have gone a little bit of a less variance route and gone a little bit safer with, you know, the power speed combos, like the Andrew Benatendis. But um, overall, I like my team, the projections seem to like them and uh, we'll just kind of see how it shakes out. But uh, it was, like I said, Billy Hamilton, putting all your eggs in one basket, hoping a player falls to you is incredibly risky. And I would not, I would not recommend that for anybody.
1: Yeah. The, the eggs in one all in one basket thing is always tricky. Um, It almost worked. (laughs) Y'all. And that's the thing though. If it works, it's tremendous. And if you weren't going with this 99 percentile strategy, is Billy Hamilton a guy you look at regularly or is this strictly for this plan?
2: No. So with Billy Hamilton, like I, I feel like he always goes a little bit earlier than I'm willing to take him. And for the most part, I do, I do espouse like the, the balance attack, right? Like, I want an outfield that consists of Christian Yelich and Domingo Santana and Andrew Benintendi and Lorenzo Cain. I do like the 2020 guys a lot. It's so safe. For the most part, those guys have a much higher batting average. You know, they they can run out, you know, ground balls, their ups are normally higher, everything like that. It's just so much safer. And I, like I said, I do espouse that. With this strategy though, like I guaranteed like in, in home runs and RBIs, even in runs scored, I'm going to be near the top, if not the absolute top of the league. So I can make up those grounds and speed's actually really easy to trade for in season. Um, like, yeah. you know, there's going to be people who are lapping the field in speed and that's going to be one of the first places that they're going to trade, you know, from a position of depth. So is it smart to go into your draft and then, and then exit out of it under the assumption, knowing that you're going to have to make trades? No, um, I definitely regret that part. And if I could do it over again, had I not got Billy Hamilton, I would have reached for a Delano to De shields. I would have reached for him, Smith. Um, but I mean, from top to bottom, like I said, I'm going to be very good in multiple categories. And it kind of gives me a little bit of wiggle room as far as trading goes.
1: No, and I I like that a lot. And like you said, multiple times, it's crazy how fast some of these guys are coming off the board. Um, Were there any snipes, like specific snipes you can remember? Because for me, the draft took, not that it took so long, but it, it happens for so many days that I forget most of them when they took place. Were there any that stood out to you?
2: Um, well, I mentioned the Billy Hamilton one. That one really, really, really killed me. Uh, then Scott Pianowski, he took Ian Desmond, which, you know, being first base and outfield eligible, I expect like a huge rebound. He was, I mean, he was coming back from what was it, like a hand or a wrist injury, never really got the same. He was bouncing in between positions. Um, I just felt like it was such a safe pick that, you know, he this is a guy that went 2020 for like three or four years in a row. Uh, me being sniped off that really, really hurt. I considered taking Whit Merrifield uh, in the, I think it was the sixth round, the fifth or the sixth round. And then he got taken a pick before me, so I, I ended up selling for Joey Gallo and then went all in on the uh, you know, on the all power strategy. I'm just looking down real quick and see if I had another couple ones. Oh, um, let me see, like a Brandon Bell, like somebody like that, like a first baseman, I was looking for that wasn't like a Joe Maurer that could actually help me in batting average. He got sniped on me. Um, there was just, like I said, it was really hard to, if you weren't looking ahead, like a round or two rounds ahead, to a player that you really wanted, you just weren't going to get them. And it's not like they were being stupid about, um, you know, just overdrafting players, but they, they recognized runs really well, like closers. Like if you didn't grab a couple closers early, all of a sudden that pool had completely dried up, you know, any, any of the elite outfielders, they went super, super fast. Um, so like it was just, it was just difficult because like a, maybe not specific players, but groups of position players where I thought for sure, at least a couple of them would make their way back to me. Just as you said earlier, I would leave for a couple hours and I would hop back into the chat. And then all of a sudden my entire queue of 10 to 12 players was completely wiped out. It was just, it was something like that, that I struggled with the entire time.
1: Yeah. It was, you think you were looking ahead so well and like, okay, this is a guy that I I should be, you know, it'll really help my team out. And then boom, gone. Mm -hmm. It was, it was wild to watch. I I have never been in something quite as intense as this. And um, I'm hoping this, format stays together for a long, long time. It was really, really cool. Um, so basically, you went with the the all-in strategy, back to your pitcher deal. I absolutely love it because I, I was picked second in mine, so we'll talk about it. But I did a bunch of mocks, and I think I, I got a league in the back into the a 15-teamer, and I was doing the back-to-back um, pitcher strategy. And it's very interesting to do. It's not the most comforting feeling all the time. But the moral of this long-winded story is, you, if you want one, and I, I, agree. You, to me, it's very important to get at least one of those big four. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get one of those big four, try to get two of the next tier if you can. Yeah. Um, to me, that's very, very important in this. And if you want one of those big four, you take them before you take a back. Because if you think, okay, I'm at pick twelve or thirteen, it'll come back to me. Probably not. It's no. probably not happening. So that's where I was going with this is you saw it yourself somehow Kershaw fell to you, which is amazing. I'm not the biggest Kershaw supporter, but the fact he fell there, you have to take him. So that's um, pretty impressive stuff.
2: In your league, do you do you remember where like most of the big four went? Because I saw like one league, Max Scherzer went first overall, which I've never second, seen. He went second one. or second, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I talked or I listened to him, and then I was talking to him. Donkey Teeth, I believe, took him. Really good guy. Um, he has a whole philosophy on it. He was on a podcast recently talking to Mike Podhouser about it. And it was, it was interesting to hear his philosophy on it, but uh, it was kind of his theory how there's a lot of bats and he could load up on bats later, but taking one of the big guys early, it wasn't, it wasn't going to come back to him, which is very true. It would not have come back to him Too, I still, you know, passing neither, up. I
2: Jose Jose exactly. also would not come back to him. So yeah, I'm not so going to, I'm not going to hate on, I'm not going to clown the pick. Um, it's interesting. I went on Mike Podhauser's, uh pod because Podhorser was the guy, I think it was two or three years ago. Um, he took Billy Hamilton in the second round in an expert league. And everybody was like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, my, by my valuations, you know, he's gonna single hand me with me an entire category. So I took him in the second round. I, I mean, I don't know what projections he has. I thought it was really questionable, but I mean, I get the point with Max, but I mean, it's so it's so hard to, to pass up on production like you're gonna get with an Altuve or a Trey Turner, but I mean, it's each his own.
1: Yeah, the big four in mine as I have the grid pulled up now, it was um, Crit Sale. He went, 15, 14, 13, 11, 10. he went pick nine. Kershaw went 12, Kluber 13, and then uh, Scherzer 16th overall, first pick of the second round. So
2: that's not that's bad.
1: It. No, it, it's kind of what you see in most of your, your mock drafts. Um, So you didn't get Billy, you went all in on power. What would you do
2: differently if you had a chance to do it over again? Um, I I think in the later rounds, I, like I said, I would have just gone ahead and taken Delano to shields. This was a couple weeks ago, I think maybe like a week and a half ago, when we were in the middle of this draft and uh, they hadn't officially announced Delano to shields as like starting every single day and he's likely going to lead off. Uh, So that kind of boosted him up a little bit. And he, all of a sudden he was on everybody's radar. I would have just gone ahead and reached for him. I would have reached for a Cameron Maben who I know he's hurt, but he steals a ton of bags whenever he's, when he's healthy. And then instead of taking like a Keiko there and just panicking, um, you know, there are some other pitchers or not pitchers even, but just hitters and stuff that I really could have used that I would have enjoyed a lot better, like a Will Myers or a Tommy Pham that went afterwards. I, I wish I would have taken those guys because I would have had a much more balanced team as far as steals go. Right now, like I like I said, I, I the projections like my system, if you go by um, depth charts and, you know, steamer projections, I'm actually kind of middle of the pack in stolen bases, which I kind of disagree with, especially with the David Dahl news that he's probably not playing every day. Um, I would have done that a little differently. And then I probably would have drafted one or two more starting pitchers. I waited too long to back, to fill out the end of my rotation. Um, like I mentioned, I had Kershaw. I had Keichel. That gives you a huge buffer as far as wins, ERA, whip goes. And then I took back-to-back. I took Blake Snell and Denelson Lament. both pitchers I love, okay? Blake Snell's having an amazing spring. Uh, the second half last year, he had an awesome ERA. His control was better. All signs point to him being much improved. But between the two of them, Lamette and Snell, they still have, like, there's still a liability as far as the whip goes. The control isn't there. They might have a one three or a one four whip. Um, So maybe I would have consolidated and taken a less sexy name between one of the two just to kind of shore up my ratios a little bit better. Um, You know, I waited too late on shortstop. So my starting shortstop is Ahmed Rosario which I don't feel great about. Sure, he's gonna steal but um, them re-signing Jose Reyes just scares the hell out of me. If Rosario struggles at all, like it's likely that he, I I don't wanna say he'll get benched but they'll send him back down to the minors. Um, other than that, like, uh, I didn't really have a game plan as far as the end of my draft goes. So instead of me just absolutely killing my ratios with a bunch of starting pitchers who I would almost immediately drop after one bad start, um, I rounded out with like bench bats. Like, uh, I, I project Willie Udamas to be up at some point this season. Uh, Nate Jones is in line, you know, as like next to get saves in Chicago, uh, use Merrill Petit unsexy, but he's going to give me, you know, possibly a hundred strikeouts, you know, a decent. You know, like like these aren't really sexy names like a Corey Spangenberg who's multi-position eligible. That was really my back end play. I was just looking for guys that I thought would play. And I kind of think that's why the projections like me so much. Not because the the players that I got are fantastic, but just because all of them are going to be getting regular playing time.
1: No, I, I agree with that quite a bit. It's definitely has a lot of upside, but still a pretty good floor is what I like about your team there. So mm-hmm. you're sitting in a pretty, pretty good spot there. Now. I'm going to talk about myself for a little bit. We're going to talk about my team, League Six. This um, I called it the League of Death. Some people might think I exaggerated, but it was pretty rough. Mike the Rotocop, <laughs> Mike, <the> Roto- <laughs> Mike Sheets, Josh Coleman, Andrew Gold, Jason Waddell, Sam Grant from Baseball HQ, our buddy Ness Monster, Ralph Lifschitz from Razzball, Yatters, the one and only Roto Gut Vlad Sedler, who has just wins all the NFBCs around.
2: Yeah, he plays uh, high stakes. He, he flies out to fantasy baseball tournaments every single year. Like this is a <laughs> Vlad's no big, joke.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fighting Chance Steve, George Bissell from Baseball Perspectives, another no joke, uh, Roto Experts Vipers, and then to top it off, the one and only Paul Sporer. So (laughs) quite the fun experiment this was for, you know, getting my feet wet, like we were talking about. So um, pretty interesting situation there. I'll go over my roster real quick, and then we'll kind of pick at it. I had the second pick, again, 15 teams. I went out Tuve at number two. Uh, Then Steven Strasburg back around in the second round. Dozier, Tommy Pham. I went off of my mold. Well, first, Dozier with my third pick. People might wonder why I have two second baseman's. I forget the I exact it. word for word thing, but Sammy Reed told us or told you, and then I heard it as well. Dozier's like, what's the exact stat you might remember better than I do. Uh,
2: he's basically like the only pitcher. Oh. I'm sorry, the only hitter to have at least uh, like a hundred runs scored each of the last four seasons while also hitting like 20 home runs or something like something ridiculous. Basically we're like, yeah. this guy's like a counting stats God. Like he really is like an absolute God and he's been markedly consistent in you know the Twins' offense is so much better. I don't hate that pick at all. If I could have taken Dozier, like I, I, would have. I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, power, speed, average, love it. And and the biggest thing I want to let people know is okay. So my first two offensive players are second baseman. It doesn't matter where you get the stats from by position. You just have to get the stats. So, yep. uh, re- Remember that when you're building your team. So then Tommy Pham, hoping you know he keeps developing as it was. I'm like I was a little. I was trying to be safe with upside. So Tommy got a little outside of my box. Then with my fifth pick, I got really outside my box. But you gave me the the thumbs up on this. I took the first closer off the board. I took Kenley Jansen. I figured ratio-wise, no doubt about it, strikeouts and saves upside, I got one of the best pitchers in the game outside of – or best closer for sure. And even when it comes to just pitchers in general, what he brings to the plate is just insane. So went outside my box there, but I'm pretty happy about it. Um, came back with Luis Castillo, and then in the seventh round got my my one of my little man crushes, Rafael Devers. Who I think's in for a, a big big year. Eighth round, this one I'm still just torn on on why I did this. If I did it the right way, but Marwin Gonzalez I picked up because one I like his versatility with kind of a limited bench. I like having that kind of player. Plus I, I do believe in his talents. It's just you don't know how often he's going to be out there, which worries me. Right. Um, ninth round. A guy I I hate, but he's actually starting to show me things the last couple of years. If he just gives me 150 innings, I'll take him. I went Rich Hill. Then I went Trevor Bauer. You, Mark wait, Bowen.
2: wait, wait. You hate Rich Hill? I just – I hate his
0: injury <laughs>
1: I hate his injury history. I can't stand it. Uh, if anybody's listening to my podcast, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. But <laughs> I'm not a Rich Hill guy at all, and I went with them at number nine. This is where you have to separate things in life. It happened. He, to, to me, falling in the ninth round – is value to me
2: yeah
1: hell yeah uh trevor bauer mark belanson and then in the 12th round i'm this is where i just started grabbing stuff i got i went matt carpenter He's still sitting there i think he's got tremendous upside in the 12th round i went way earlier than he usually goes but i took matt chapman in the 13th round absolutely love year. yes absolutely love him and that as i said you started watching guys flying off the board I just had a feeling Chapman wasn't going to be around. And then he went in between Evan Longoria and Eugenio Suarez. So third baseman were flying at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Then I went Dexter Fowler, reliable outfielder in the 14th round. I'll take that. Kendris Morales, who I absolutely love. We have two utilities in this league, so it doesn't hamper you as much as you think. Love that at 15. Then I went to one of the to according to Yancy one of the worst shortstops in baseball, Tim Anderson, but it was the 16th round. Um Lewis Brenton, Brian McCann, my first catcher in the 18th round. Absolutely, he's I only catcher. Then I went Lucas Duda in the nineteenth. I took a gamble. Now in the twentieth round, he's only supposed to miss maybe all of April, maybe less than all of April. So in the twentieth round, I took Urban Santana. I'll get a starter for at least five months out of the season. Uh-huh. Um, coming off that year, went Max Kepler. I gambled on Walker Buehler. Gambled on Jack Flaherty, Nicky Delmonico, Clayton Richard. I love in the twenty-fifth. Um, Colin McHugh. I figured he had some spot starts and then some long relief, so he's more of a ratio guy for me there. I went in the 27th round, Joe Mauer, just for the fact that belt was gone, and he, he's going to get me a great average, drive-in and score some runs, and then Daniel Mengden as a dart in the 28th round. So
2: it, that's it, a lot of process. I will say, like, you're when you went Ken, Kenley Jansen, and you went Luis Castillo. That's one hell of like two picks in a row. That's just absolutely amazing. Like I'm a Luis Castillo believer. I really am. Like I've taken him like in the second and third rounds of like some startup dynasty leagues and stuff this year. I know it's kind of risky to take pitchers that early, but I think this guy is a limit for him. I really do. Um, what was some of the other picks? I was, I, was gonna, I also took Mauer, Just like you said, if I have an injury to one of my utility or corner spots, I can plug him in. And guess what? He's just going to be a boost on my batting average. He's not um, going to hurt
1: you in any way.
2: Yeah, at all. I mean, yeah. in the power, he's going to hurt you. But like I said, if I have four hitters that can realistically push fifty home runs, I'm not really concerned about the power. Um, you mentioned Matt Chapman. I. It's weird that this has happened, but. In the last like three or four months, I have become the biggest Matt Chapman fanboy. I am so into it. And I think I've done like six or seven drafts so far. And I think in six of them, I have Matt Chapman. He's just people are quietly overlooking the fact that like this is one of the premier defenders in the game already. He is going to play every single day. And the dude has power, power for Ryan
1: Healy for a reason.
2: Yep. Just so that he can play every single day. Um, I, Mike Gianella, he actually, I think it was Mike Gianella. He was asking about like bold predictions, whatever for the season. And I basically told him like, I think Chris Davis, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman combined. They, I think they each can hit 40 home runs this season. I'm not kidding. There's a oh, yeah. scenario for me where if Oakland's pitching is solid, like if AJ Puck is up and he's delivering, um, you know, if, if Triggs is healthy, if uh, I know Jarrell Cotton, I think was injured this spring, but you could see a scenario where this could actually be a team that kind of flirts with that second wild card. Like they're sneakily good. Like even Marcus Simeon, remember Marcus Simeon was hurt fall last year. People are forgetting about him. That's another dude that I'm super, super high on, but yep. man, I love that Matt Chapman pick, especially like as a corner, as a util. I mean, he could get you 30 home runs easily. If you look at steamer, I think it has him projected for like 26 or 27 home runs. Absolutely love that pick. Um, what'd you feel about your end game? Like as far as like the pitcher or the uh, players that you took towards the last five or six rounds,
1: it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, yeah. First off, I'll be very honest. I usually play twelve team leagues. So yeah. dipping in the fifteen team pool, it is insane. Because now I've gone back and I did an eleven team one last night, and I've done a couple twelves. And I, I, it sounds cocky, but I almost feel like I'm just in like cruise control. It's just, it's so yeah. much easier to me taking those that like fifteen teams is freaking deep, <laughs> like yeah. insanely deep. Um, I'd like it. It's just not comforting. But I, I took the gambles I took. Based on I was really really happy with the front of my draft. Mm-hmm. I was so comfortable that you know you can't never predict injuries, but barring injuries, I'm not going to need to make a ton of changes. Like I really think that's my guys. I'm going to go battle with all day, and you should feel that way, obviously. But I, I like it, and so that I gambled like pitching wise, I took a little more safety, and then I gambled on some uh, some bats. I think and then Joe Mauer, of course. But it was tough, especially like the bats part of it. To me, I don't know about yours that was tough late, really tough late. Um, Mm -hmm. Pitching, there's a lot of stuff you can, depending on what your gamble tolerance is, there is always something out there. That's just tricky, really, really tricky.
2: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I was trying to remember was I was looking through the league settings like halfway through the draft, which I know is really bad. I should have done it beforehand. Um, But originally I thought that we had daily lineups where we could swap in and out. Mm And I'm glad that I did go back and check because no, this is a weekly lineups league. So players that you feel like should be owned, and I noticed that they were falling a lot, like a like a player like Rajay Davis, right? He yeah. can steal you 25 home runs, or I'm sorry, 25 bags, but it's going to be really hard to forecast his playing time. And that's that's somebody that really needs to be owned in a daily lineups league, not a weekly lineups league, because there are weeks where he can literally contribute nothing to you. Um, mm-hmm. So I noticed a lot of guys like those falling. Um, so the lesson there is take a look at your league. But, and then I also noticed that like, there's no um, maximum for innings pitched either. So I could kind of play around with the number of starters I drafted versus the relief pitchers. And I can just load up the back end of my draft with really solid guys like Neshek, like I said, uh, like a Hector Neris, not, I'm sorry, not a Hector Neris, uh, Use Yusmero Petit, um, and not really worry about the ramifications of that. They, those might be the first guys that I cut whenever I want to add players, but yeah. Um, I stayed away from like the sexy names that have all kinds of control issues that are going to kill my whip. I stayed away from a lot of the prospects that we don't know when they're going to be up. Because another thing to consider too is we have a $1,000 FAB budget, right? A free agent acquisition yes. budget. So if you have a really solid core and you have a ton of depth at all of your positions, you can spend very frivolously on your FAB by trying to get these hot pickups or whenever the, the prospects do get called up, you don't have to you know, expend draft capital on those types of players whenever their playing time is uncertain. So remembering that and just keeping in mind like the, the, the rules themselves, I do feel a lot better. Like on paper, like it, The back end of my roster does not look super sexy, but like I said, they're going to play. So I have this really high floor that I'm going to maintain throughout the entire season. And as you start seeing these call-ups, the fact that it is weekly lineups and you have to submit fab and stuff. It's not first come first serve. I do feel that um, I'll be able to improve my team a lot more than I think some of the other teams will, where half of their bench is prospects already. You know what I mean? Or if they sustain an injury, they're going to have to drop one of these prospects. That's going to be the first people that they drop. And then I'm just going to swoop back in. You see what I'm saying? So um, no, that, I don't know if you I, felt that same way. Did you, did you see like prospects going overdrafted or underdrafted in your league? It,
1: it was pretty, I wouldn't say it was crazy, but there were some that surprised me um, was going pretty higher than I would because like I said, I took the only one I really took that's scary could be Walker Bueller, but I feel he'll still have a mm-hmm. big enough impact as the season goes on. Most of my guys, uh, cause Flaherty is supposed to get a spot in the rotation. Now everyone else is playing They're, yep. they They, they have a job, and that's kind of – I'm in your boat. Like, it's not the sexiest back end of my roster, but it's like if I look at my bench now, and I haven't tinkered with anything since the draft to put my team in, but Joe Maurer and Nicky Delmonico are on my bench. And Nicky Delmonico might not ring a bell to many people, but he's an everyday player in the White Sox offense with some pop and a little bit of speed. He's there. just something to think about. And mm-hmm. then Colin McHugh, Daniel Mengden, Clayton Richard, those are my three bench arms. Nothing sexy, but McHugh, kind of like your petite idea, he can eat up innings. He's not going to kill you. He's going to help your ratio. I love petite, in drafts and that theory in deep leagues, like you mentioned, uh, guys like that, because everyone thinks Stavinsky and, you know, Archie Bradley and all that. They forget all these other guys. Almost every team now, or I'd say at least, you know, 60% of the teams are starting to develop that guy because we're hearing about four-man rotations, you know, with you in Tampa Bay. We're, we're hearing the six-man rotations, and even those are going to be weakened at times there's going to be a lot more of those deeper inning guys that give you two or three innings, good ratios. It's amazing. This is simple stuff, but when a pitcher only sees a lineup once, they do so much better. So just like little things like little things like that, that people don't think about. But what I want to ask you is you mentioned a very good point when you're taking your later picks and you know, they're not flashy, they're not sexy and they're droppable. You said a very important word there. Cause like you said, people are going to have prospects they can't drop because they invested in them. they're not going to drop a prospect. Yep. Now you have the ability to do so much with your lineup. Is that like a serious focus of yours or is it just, you know, it worked out this time? So I think it's a great point that people don't realize.
2: So I, with me, for the most part, I, I don't like to target prospects and drafts simply because I'm not a prospect guy. Like Paul Spores says this stuff all the time. Like if you want to talk top 100 prospects, I'm down to talk top, top, you know, top 100. I cannot talk about guys who are in Double A who might make the jump. I can't talk about guys, you know, who are sitting, you know, riding Pine in Triple A that deserve a call up. Like I I don't know those types of guys. I really focus on Major League players. And so like okay. I feel like if I if I build out a roster of almost all starting, you know, not fourth outfielders, not backups, not platoon players, starting Major League baseball players, like I said I have a $1000 free agent acquisition budget that I can spend just on these these pop-up players, these call-ups, you know, these prospects. I like I said I, I've seen the mistake too often where um, do you want to get frisky sometimes and say I want to take Ozzy Albies in the sixth round like he went in this league okay that's fine you know it's a little risky I think Ozzy Albies is fantastic I'm not saying that he's not going to perform but you know you're you're basically paying full freight for him as a sixth rounder but that it's also that same type of owner that drafted Ozzy Albies in the sixth round that's going to take Acuna with a top 100 pick it's the same guy that's going to draft Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at you know in in round 20 it's the same guy that's also going to have like you know he's he's going to take Josh Hader because he knew that he was really good, but his his role is uncertain. And I actually took Josh Hader in this round, so or in this league, so I'm not. Whatever I know that's kind of stupid too, but well oh, in, in this
1: league, in this league I think he's phenomenal. It goes back to the whole you know yeah, long reliever Yeah,
2: even if he only pitches 100 innings, whatever that's fine. And they did say that they had plans to move him back into the rotation. But the point remains is like the people who are constantly taking these chances, these dart throws on prospects, and and taking you know huge risks on injury concerns and, and that type of thing. You always see those. They're making so many more of those types of rash decisions, and your roster just can't hold up with that, especially with the implementation mm-hmm. of the 10 day DL you're going to see so much attrition with your rosters. Like you're going to wish that you had a Corey Spangenberg. You're going to wish that you had a young Gervis Salarte that can play multiple infield positions. Like it's going to be really hard to field a starting lineup. You know, like I said, 420 players got drafted in this league. So there are going to be times whenever you're going to see somebody rolling out a lineup where they have people starting who are are not playing. So um, it's, it's not like a holier than thou thing. I'm not saying that everything that I did was correct. But I do like my chances at fielding a competitive roster all season, regardless if I get call-ups or not.
1: No, and that's that's why I asked you because I think it's a, it's a great point. And it's a good strategy. Everyone's getting real deep into drafting now, and it's something you need to think about when you're taking those late picks. It's not just like, hey, it'll be cool to watch this guy when he's on you know my roster. Well, hey, he's got to get there first, and he's got like there's a lot to it. And by then, your team might be out of it because you had such a big hole or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of things called winning now. Try that. It's a lot of fun.
2: Um, <laughs> Let me ask you this. So of, of your picks, I know it's kind of weird to talk about your own team, but of these picks, like give me some ones that you felt really, really good about and some that you kind of wish you would have done something different.
1: Um, I absolutely love getting Luis Castillo in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you my feelings on Kenley Jansen. E- obviously I'll t- the top few picks are easy. The fact Rafael Devers hit me in the seventh pumped on that as well. Yeah. Um, Deeper than that, Chapman, we've already Googled about him enough. Uh, Brian McCann is my catcher in the 18th round. I am 1,000% okay with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Outside of that, everything else is pretty basic, nothing like that I was like jumping over the moon for. The ones that I think are going to give me heartburn this year, potentially, um, Tommy Fam, if it was a one-year wonder, because I'm usually not a guy to buy into one-year things. I think uh, he's
2: good. I'm, I'm on team Pham, to be honest with you.
1: I am too, what I'm hoping, but then it's just like I gotta, I've gotta. been let down by so many giants. Um, Marvin Gonzalez, that one slightly worries me. And then you go down, the picks are so much later that they don't concern me as much. I guess I would say, just because of where I got him, but Matt Carpenter, because he is my starting first baseman,
0: uh-huh.
1: I need him to produce at least closer to what he used to be. If that makes sense, if yeah. he can do that, my team will be so much better than I think it's going to be. But that's still asking a lot for Max. He's already kind of banged up. They say he's they tried playing him elsewhere. He's back to first base. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think I like my depth so much. If I have to make trades, I have leverage. So I'm, I'm OK with that. Um, are,
2: there, are there any categories that you feel you're particularly strong at or ones that you are kind of lagging behind?
1: I think pop, I think power wise, I'm doing pretty good. I like what I have there, especially, like, again, Chapman in the 13th round has got 30-plus, 40-plus homework ability. Getting Kendris Morales in the 15th, he's a 25-plus guy. Uh, Lucas Duda in the 19th could give me 25-plus. Those late picks right there just added with Altuve and FAM and Dozier. Those the endeavors even like a big, big power bet. There There's a lot I could like there. Steals is always something I struggle with because I hate selling out on certain guys where I feel like I could – go elsewhere, but then you have Altuve and Dozier and Pham right there. They could give me the steals I need to at least make it competitive and then piece it together with maybe Fowler steals a couple. Tim Anderson, that's one reason why I took him when I did. Mm-hmm. He can steal bases. Um, if Lewis Brinson gets to play, which is still an if, steals bases. So that's kind of what I was looking at there. But steals would be my biggest concern I'd say, especially offensively. Yeah. Cool. Um, other than that, I'm pretty pumped on it. And I, you know the bright side Yance is on Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday night thursday's two weeks away from real baseball
2: i know i normally for baseball season i always take a week off and uh like i just like grill and chill that whole week i do a bunch of day drinking i watch the games like my wife she absolutely loves it. it's like the cheapest vacation ever like all all we gotta do is go to costco once load up a meat barbecue that type of thing uh unfortunately this year baseball coincides with easter weekend and of course i work in retail management so i only got the one day off that thursday but Props to baseball, props to Major League Baseball for making it in a true opening day where everybody is playing on that Thursday. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And, um, you know, this has been a really long offseason. I know it's actually, I think it's a truncated one uh, as opposed to other ones. Like it's actually starting earlier in the year. Like, you know, baseball season starting in March this year. But, man, it doesn't it get dark without <laughs> baseball? It really does. I say this every year, but, man, I am so looking forward to it. But we have no idea.
1: Well, we got spoiled last year. The, the degenerate baseball fans that we are, the World Baseball Classic was amazing. We had like three or four weeks, whatever it was, of just awesomeness. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We don't have that. And that's killing us right now. <laughs> yeah. Like as yeah. much as people hated on the classic before it was good last year, we need something now. It, this gap is not working for me. Mm-hmm. But um, my friend, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Unless you have anything else you'd like to to mention.
2: Uh no, I just I. I encourage you guys to go on Twitter, find me um at Yancey Eden and you guys can also follow Bubba obviously at BD Dentric. For the longest time I thought your last name was Dentric just because of your <laughs> I think I've said this to you before, but it's intricate obviously. But I love coming on and we said this last year, but let's let's make this a resolution. I need to come on a little bit semi-regularly. It's uh this is like one of my favorite podcast hits that I do. You and I are obviously very good friends. You guys, I don't know if you can tell, but we're just like beaming at each other on Google Hangouts right now, just looking at each other and smiling. It's like a really cute little couple we got going here. But thank you for having me on, dude. I can't wait to come back on soon.
1: Yeah. No, like I said, you just let me know. We will make it work with your schedule and my schedule. And also, he's being humble. He's not mentioning. Listen to his podcast. Dear Mr. Fantasy made its triumphant return last week. And I'm pretty sure that's coming out here shortly. Um, and pop goes your world with Chris McBride. I was just joking earlier. Chris is a great guy. He's funny. He's just he's just it's, he's just very strong in his opinion. And uh, us younger people, yeah. If we don't if we don't agree, we just don't know what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, that that may be an understatement too. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: all I'm saying. I was was I had like once I said it I'm like okay, let me rephrase this. I was not a jab at Chris. Chris is a great guy. Yeah, he's just very strong in his beliefs. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, check out all that stuff, everybody, and definitely give Yancey a follow, especially when he's barbecuing. Amazing stuff. But other than that, he's just a great guy all around. And it's not just sports with Yancey. Tons of music. He talks about music I don't even know about. Like, It's its amazing the stuff he does. And I'm just like, you know, I, I blabble a lot. Yancey reads books. So, like, go check out Yancey. Wow. Actually, he's, like, Proven smart. Proven smart. But, um, all right, enough of that, everybody. This was Bitch with Bubba, Episode 79. Yancey, thanks for joining me, man. We'll talk to you later.